The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to Official Unofficial. We are now joined by a guy that means a lot to me, of the pride of Ontario, Canada, just like myself, former Mississippi State Bulldog, current outfielder for the Detroit Tigers, and most importantly, a man rocket. It's my pleasure to welcome <laughs> Jacob Robson to the Officially Unofficial podcast. How are we, brother? Johnny, you're too kind, man. Thanks for having me. I had to get you on. I really did. And this is like... And everyone says, like, I get nostalgic a lot, but you were a guy when I was growing up because you're three years older than me. I used to see you grinding at Mississippi State, grinding for Team Canada, uh, the junior national team. And I was like, this is a guy that I can look up to, even though I was dog shit and I went to JUCO. But like I said, man, you gave us Canadian kids hope that we can get out of the gutter here. So I just wanted to say thank you for your service for playing for Team Canada. And let's go right into it. I mean, when did you find out you were on Team Canada and all that kind of stuff? Oh man, that's actually, that's actually an awesome story. Um, I was really growing up, not really the best baseball player on my team ever. I was always pretty good, but I never stood out and I was a very undersized player. And, um, you know, I just, I thought I was going to be a hockey player. I was much better at hockey and I spent more time on the ice and I just, it's just something that I thought I was going to do. And I always played baseball in the warm weather, you know, in the summer and stuff just for my local team. And grade 11 rolls around. So I'm 15. And I try, we don't have, let me say this. I have a late birthday. So technically, if I was in the U.S., I could have played a year down. Yeah. My birthday's at the end of the year, as, as you know how all that stuff works. Um I, we didn't, I, I would have been like the 17 U uh, age. So I guess, sorry, little jumbled there. I would have been 16 years old in grade 11. Yeah. Okay. And I would have been eligible for the 17 U team. My town in Windsor did not have a 17 U team. We had a 16 U team an and an 18 U team. Yeah. And I, I didn't want to try and play down. So I was like, I'll just play up. I had played up here and there. Um, so I tried out for the Windsor travel team and I was cut from the team and, um, I didn't really know what to do. There was like a kind of a neighboring team. Uh, they're called the Tecumseh Thunder 
and they're not too far away, 15, 20 minutes away. And I just thought I'd play for them. They had an 18U team. They welcomed me with open arms. We actually ended up playing more games on that team. And we played more in the U.S. And as you know, as a Canadian guy, you want to try and play in the U.S. as much as possible. And so at this point, I didn't even think that I was good enough to play past high school, to be honest with you. Um, and so, so I'm on this Tecumseh team. And there we heard that there's like a showcase at an indoor facility in London, Ontario, Centerfield Sports. I don't know if you're yeah, familiar yeah. with that. Great Lakes Canadians play there, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So this would have been in 2011. This would have been before the Great Lakes Canadians were created, but it's that facility. Yeah. Um, a couple of guys from each team around Ontario, this the southwestern Ontario area, uh, were invited to this camp. And I was not one of the ones invited on my team, but I just kind of asked my coach. I was like, hey, can I please can I please go to this thing? Um, and he said, yeah, no problem. And so I end up going. Um, basically invited myself and we did showcase things. And like, I was not at the time I was so small. I was not a showcase player. Um, the only thing I could do really in high school was run. And I still wasn't even that fast yet. I mean, I was like pretty decently fast, but I was never the fastest guy on my team growing up. I was always probably second or third fastest. And um, so I was not a showcase guy. And I go to this, I go to this indoor thing, we run, we hit in the cage and we, um, we throw, I had such a lousy arm and I was, I was not a BP, uh, not really a BP guy. I was more of a gamer at the time. I think I still am. Um, but anyway, nothing came of it. And, uh, the only cool thing was Greg Hamilton, who was the coach of the, the Canadian national team. And, uh, the Canadian junior team, he's the head coach. And with the senior team, he's kind of like a bench coach, assistant yeah. coach. He's, he's awesome, very influential in my career and my success. So credit, credit to Greg, but he's a, um, he's a legend. He's a Canadian legend for sure. He, uh, he spoke to the group, to the group of guys at the showcase, and he, he gave out his contact info. And he was like, if you guys ever need anything, whatever, let me know. And so I'm following at this time you know, you, you got it for the listeners. You, you, as a Canadian kid, you got to get on that national team. If you're not on that national team, it's really tough and, and you don't get as much exposure and you really have to grind. Um, so my sights were like on that, even though I just got cut from my local team, I was still just like, I want to try and do that. I didn't know if I was good enough. I didn't, hadn't really played like internationally. I hadn't played across Canada. I just played in, in my area growing up and a little bit in Michigan, just because Windsor's so close to, to Detroit. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know how I stacked up against all these other kids. So anyway, I'm following along with that junior national team every, every month or so they put out an article um, just talking about their, that trip that they had had and how it went and who played well, who didn't play well, things like that. And I kept reading, like they didn't have that much speed and they wanted it speed and they didn't have many stolen bases. And so I was like thinking like, man, I, I feel like I could fit in with that role. But I was at the time, I still was like, I don't know if I'm good enough. Um, and so shortly afterwards, a, a guy from Windsor, his name is Damian Smith, childhood friend of mine. We're the same age. We went to the same elementary school 
played on the same travel team. He kind of out of nowhere gets added to this national team. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like it was incredible. You know, someone from Windsor got added and especially a close, close friend like that. Um, but at the same time, I was like, it made me, it made me think like if Damien can get on there, then I can, we've been playing together this whole time. And I felt like I stacked up well against him and we're, you know, he was a big, tall, projectable player. So I understand and, and fast and athletic. I, I understand how they wanted him. They wanted to develop him. Um, but I was still like, oh man, I can get in there if he's in there. And so I didn't really know what to do. And I, a couple months go by and my mother, she, I give so much credit to her too. She, um, she played multiple sports in university. She was a great athlete. And more importantly than anything, she always taught me to believe in myself and be confident and like understand that I can do anything in my life if I put my mind to it, whether it's sports or not. And so that I think is invaluable. That's just a sidebar, you know, very grateful yeah. for my mom. But she um, she was like, just why don't you just email him, email the coach, email Greg. And I was like, what email him what? You know, she's <laughs> like. She basically was like, email him and tell him you're a leadoff guy and you're fast. And if you want a fast guy, then I'm your guy. And I was, you know, me being a 16 year old, uh, I was embarrassed to do that. You know, my mom is suggesting me to do this. I'm like, I'm not doing that. You know, I didn't want to look dumb or look silly or have it not work out or whatever. And so I kind of sat on that idea, that suggestion by my mom. And then finally I was like, you know, what? I don't have anything to lose. So I'm going to construct an email. And she and I kind of like put something together and it, that was basically it. It was like, I see in these articles, you don't have any fast guys. I'm a fast guy. I can lead off. I can play the outfield. I can run the bases. So basically give me a shot. And Greg replied, very brief response. It was something along the lines of, thanks for reaching out. Will you be at this showcase on this day at this place? And it was in Toronto and it was, in, this, this was an invite only showcase yeah. and I was not invited. I was not invited, but I took that as the invite. And so I was like, yes, I'll be there. <laughs> uh, so I, I think a couple weeks later or so, maybe a week later, um, I drive up to Toronto. Me and my dad wake up really early in the morning we had to get there at like nine. So we had to leave really early yeah. um, coming from Windsor. So we're driving up there and I get to this, this ballpark, a um, bunch of guys warming up. And again, I'm not a showcase guy. I'm, I'm undersized. I don't really do anything that jumps off the page um, besides run. I could, I could run at that time. And um, so I get there and, you get one of those cards, you got to fill out all your information as soon as you, as, as you get there. And so I'm doing that and everyone's kind of warming up. And as I'm filling out my card, they call my name to run the 60 yard dash. And I'm like, dang, like I didn't even get to warm up. I've been sitting in a car all morning. And like, this is the one thing I came here for. Basically, this is like the, my best thing. And so, but I didn't want to be like, Hey, can I warm up first? So I just, I just went in there and ran and the, the way they run, they run guys like two by two, two by two. Yeah. And exactly. And, and, uh, I ran and I beat whoever I was running next to. I beat him. And, uh, then finally some time went by, I had warmed up in between and they asked me to run again. And I ran again against the same guy and I beat him by even more. 
And uh, again, didn't think anything of it, but apparently at the time that was the shortstop for team Canada. And that was the fastest guy on the team. Holy and so shit. I, I, and I had no idea. Um, and so I go out the through the rest of the showcase, just not knowing we do some throws from the outfield and that's terrible. I had such a bad arm in high school. Uh, we took batting practice on the field, which I had never done. That was the first time in my life I had done. And I didn't hit a good batting practice because I was just like overwhelmed. I didn't know what the heck to do. And then we played a scrimmage. And um, in the scrimmage, my first at bat was off of a guy named Ryan Kellogg. I don't know. If I you know, know exactly that. who that is. Yeah, he's a Canadian legend, dude. I mean, I know uh, most of our listeners are American, but he's he was like disgusting when he was in high school and can't like he was gross. But yeah keep going yes big six five left-handed pitcher and in high school he was throwing like low 90s yeah and and i i had never seen at this time i had never seen a pitch over like 80 miles an hour or 82 miles an hour and so i'm a lefty so it's already tough enough and i get this big tall guy and by the way he was already on the national team he was doing so well um i get up there and he throws three fastballs right down the middle i struck out i didn't even swing <laughs> and so that was my first at bat and my second at bat was off of a guy right-hander so it was a little more comfortable he was throwing about 88 uh to 90 or so which was still like gas for me and I didn't swing again but thankfully he walked me like on full count um I get to first I steal second and I steal third in the next two pitches and nothing else happened and I was I was on deck to hit again but the pitcher on at the time, he looked like he was throwing really hard. So I told the guy in the hole to take my spot. I was like, I'm, you can hit for me, dude. I was, because I knew nothing good was going to happen. I was not going to hit the ball. So that, that really happened. I missed my last at bat. And then the showcase ended and I left and I just felt like crap. And I remember my dad just being like, screw those guys. Who cares? You just, you know, it was a bad day. No worries. And then I think like a few days later, I get a call from Greg Hamilton and he was like, Hey, um, you're going to the Dominican with us in five days. What's your hat size? Oh my God. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, I was, I was thinking of coming off the worst day. And it was, it was the first, I think, showcase I had ever done outside. Second showcase I'd ever done in my life. For sure. Yeah. And, uh, that was it. I mean, I remember my parents were, you know, my mom was really emotional and they were really excited. They knew it was something that I, I wanted to do. Um, I, I had just stopped playing hockey the previous year. Um, and at the time I, I was a much better hockey player, but I just decided that I didn't want to go all in on like the NHL when I was 15 years old. Like when I was, when I was growing up, like that's what we had to do. We didn't really have the option. It was like, you're all in or you're not. And I was yeah, like, yeah. I think, yeah, you know how it goes. I was like, I think I want to keep my options open, so I'm going to stop playing hockey. Um, so anyway, I'm on this national team, and I got like five days, and my dad was like, hey, do you remember that indoor place in London? The guy who runs that played in the major leagues. Sternsy. Played in, Adam yes, Stern. Adam Stern. He played in the major leagues. He played at Nebraska, which is a – which was a powerhouse school when he was there. Uh, he's a really fast guy. He's a center fielder and he's a left-handed hitter and he's undersized. And my dad was like, oh, and also he was the hitting coach or one of the hitting coaches for the national team 
at the time. So my dad was like, you should go there. Maybe you should go there and get some lessons. At, at least you'll be familiar with him. So when you go to, to Dominican, it'll be like less overwhelming for you. So I, I did. I went there a couple of times and I was like, hey, like Sterney, I had never seen like anyone throw hard before besides that one showcase. So like, I need some help. Like I need to know what to do. And so we just, we had, I had a few lessons with him, I think before or two or three lessons before we went to Dominican. Um, he was great. And more than anything, he just like instilled confidence in me. And he was like, Hey, you know, like I'll be there with you, you know, so just do your thing and, you know, hope for the best, basically like don't overdo it. Don't overthink it. And and I went to the Dominican Republic, um, which was an incredible experience. I had no idea how I was going to do. Everybody was throwing really hard. You know, those those Latin kids, when they're young, they they got some flamethrowers, even from age like 15. Mm-hmm. And um, I ended up hitting, I think I was the best hitter on the team at what? that trip. And uh, I did so well. And, and that was it. That was the rest was history. I made every single trip since then. And... Um, you know, because with that national team, they add and subtract players all the time. So one trip is great, but you got to make it to the next trip and you got to wait for Greg's call to say, Hey, you're coming to the next one. And I went to every single one. So really I, so much credit to my mom, uh, for that email. Dude. Um, yeah, that, I, I'm still trying to process this. So like putting on, put, like speaking on this from like, a normal person perspective. Cause you were saying like, you weren't that good when you were on Tecumseh and stuff like that. Like, where are we? T- Cause it may be in your mind, you weren't that good, but were you the best on that Tecumseh team at, at the time? Or were you like legit, like looking back on it, were you dog shit? Like wh- where, where would you say you were at? Like you couldn't hit over 85 ever. I, I never sucked. I was always good. I was always good. But I never, growing up, I never won, like, MVP of the tournament, best hitter of the tournament, whatever. Like, you would have never pointed at me and been like, that's the guy. He's making it to the show one day. Like, I was never that guy. So, wow. and a big a big reason why was because I was so small. Like, I really was a late bloomer. Um, grade 10, for me, I was, like, five foot two. And uh, I couldn't even, you know, I, play, I played travel volleyball in high school. I, I love that sport. It's an amazing sport. But I remember that eight foot net, I could only get like half of my hand over it. And then grade 11, I could just like dunk a basketball. And it wasn't from f- like working out. It was just from being a late bloomer and, and having good genetics. I mean, my dad um, played football in university. Uh, he was a running back and um, he's a pretty fast, was a pretty fast guy. And my mom, like I said, she, she played volleyball and soccer in university, just at University of Windsor. And when she was in high school, she was a sprinter. So we ha- I have some great genetics for sure. Um, but I think both of my parents were, they didn't want to like jump the gun. They were, they just sort of thought that I was going to all going to pan out one day. Um, but they knew since I was really small, like they're just like, just keep waiting, just wait, just wait, just wait. And I think I st- am still waiting on my second growth spurt. Me too. But uh, yeah, but uh, I got I got a lot bigger from when I was just a pipsqueak. So that's really honestly that's that's kind of like my story. Look, uh, once I was crazy. on that, yeah. Once I was on that national team, all the colleges um, started calling, 
And um, my grade 12 year, I didn't know what travel team to play for. And I was contacted by the Ontario Blue Jays. Wagon of a team. Um, For the American listeners, if you don't know who the Ontario Blue Jays are, at that time, because I think they've kind of digressed with the Great Lakes Canadians and all the other programs, but at the time you were there, this team had MLB draft picks just coming out the ass. I mean, their way they were a wagon, and especially having you there, the Nailers went there. It's just a bunch of freaks of nature. If you were good, if you were good in Ontario, or maybe even in Canada at the time you were there, you were on the Ontario Blue Jays, plain and simple, right? I mean, that's just like a description of it. That's right. Um, when I was in grade twelve, I think half of Team Canada was the Ontario Blue Jays. Okay, yeah. So. We, we were the best travel team uh, in Canada for sure. And so we had tons of exposure with that team as well. And uh, it was just, yeah, like I said, I mean, I went from being cut from my Windsor team to um, being the starting, you know, center fielder or left fielder, or whatever, leadoff hitter for the junior national team playing a year up because that team is 18U. Yeah. Um, and I played, you know, I, I did not sit the bench on that team, which was, which was great. I'm very grateful that Greg gave me that opportunity, but he saw something in me that I guess those Windsor coaches didn't. Um, and, and like I said, there was just so much unknown coming up, like growing up. I just, I had not played against too many people. Um, I didn't know how I was going to stack up against those Florida kids, California, Texas, who are playing all the time. You know, I'm coming off of limited reps. And uh, I just didn't know how I measured up. And then once I got on that national team and once I got with the Ontario Blue Jays, we did play against those kids. We played internationally. And I was like, I can hang with these guys. You know, it's, it's no big deal. And um, I, I was a good student in high school as well. Um, so I got recruited by a bunch of schools and things like my, my grades and my test scores were not going to be a problem. So uh it started off with smaller schools in Michigan um, for my recruiting. And my coaches just kept telling me like, do not commit to a school. Please do not commit to a school. They're like, just wait, just wait. And like, I'm like, this is all new to me. You know, my parents, they went to university in Canada. They don't, they had never been recruited. Like, like I was being recruited. They were like, this all sounds good. And so I just, I took the advice of my coaches uh, and I waited, I waited until the last second. Um, and all of these, these big schools started to come on late for me because, like I said, I got on the scene late. So being recruited collegiately, I had to really, really be patient. Um, and the cool thing was about that national team is we had some big dogs. I mean, every year on that team, there's a high draft pick. And for, for me, when I was in grade 12, our big guy, our big name was Cal Quantrill. That's uh, front of the who, front of the program. That's our guy. I love Cal. Okay. Cal's great. He's a year younger than me. And he was an excellent student, as you know. So he was getting recruited by everybody. And so they would come watch Cal pitch and they would see me play. And so they, they reach out to me. And um, so I have guys like Cal to thank for, for all that, that good exposure. And I had excellent choices, you know, coming out of high school, my top three choices were, um, Mississippi State, which I chose, and the other two were Vanderbilt and TCU. Oh my God. <laughs> so they were, they were awesome. Vandy. Yes. Okay, so, let, so let's go into perspective here. So 
when did you realize like because obviously it happened so fast like you said you just get a call to team canada after going over three if if going over three results and playing for team canada i would have been on team usa the actual world baseball classic team in out of high school because i was dog shit over three all the time but when did you kind of look at that and be like wow like I am nasty at baseball. Like, was it an offer from Vanderbilt? Was it an offer from like Mississippi State? Or was it the Team Canada stuff? When did you realize like I'm better than a lot of the kids that I'm playing against and playing with? Um, I think it was when so when I got added to that junior national team, that was a big step. And I was like, wow, you know, I can kind of I can hang with the rest of, of Canada, which was which was huge for me. Um, but the next step, you know, like in life, the way that I go is like, I just keep trying to level up. And so the next level up for me was like, can I compete internationally? And that would have been 2011 at the end of 2011, we went to Columbia and we played in the Pan Am games qualifying tournament. And we lost in the finals of that tournament. But we played against a bunch of really, really good baseball nations like the U.S., Colombia, um, Panama. I can't remember. I can't remember who else would have been in there. All those Pan Am games, Dominican, Venezuela. I'm, I don't know if we played against those specific teams, but they were in the tournament. Cuba. Um, and I was getting hits off of, off of their best pitchers. And so after after that, like after that tournament at the end of 2011, I was like, I think I can, I think I can play pro. And like, I, you know, I started to get my sights on professional baseball and, and the major leagues. Um, that doesn't discount the fact that like growing up, I always watched the Tigers. I always watched the Jays and I always imagined being there. You know, I really looked up to guys like Ichiro um, and really in my younger days, Pudge, because he played for the Tigers and he was a small guy a and I was king. a catcher. A short Yeah. King. Exactly, exactly. And I was a catcher. So I was like, Oh, man, I love Pudge. And um, anyway, grade 11, after that trip there, at the end of the year, I was like, I think I'm gonna make it to the big leagues, you know, like those sort of thoughts went through my head. That's a good I mean, that's a good thought process to have, man. It really is. Like, and obviously, like not to cut you out there, but I have to bring this up because I, I know my dumb brain junior college brain will forget this. And Team Canada, like you said, right? Every single guy gets invited to trips. Like, you have to make the next trip. So when you were on that first trip, were these guys looking at you? Because like I said, man, like you said, you were you played for Tecumseh. You weren't on these OBJs, Ontario Terriers. You were on none of these travel teams, right? So no one really knew who you were. Were people looking at you like, who the fuck is this guy? Who is this guy leading off for us playing outfield? How weird was that adjustment for you to, like, join Team Canada with a bunch of these freaks of nature that played travel ball and never seen you before? Yes, that, that uh, I, th- I believe that's the impression that, that uh, I got from those guys. <laughs> it was like, yeah, who is this guy? Um, you know, the thing about that national team, though, is like, it is a little bit of who is this guy, but it's also like they brought him here for a reason. He for must sure. do something. He must do something good. So I think when they saw my success, they were like, oh, that's what he does. You know, he's, he's lead off guy, high energy, um, put the ball and play run pressure the other team. That's really when I was in high school, that was like a huge part of my game. I didn't hit homers. Um, you know, I'm not a home run hitter now, but like, I will hit some homers. I'll yeah, hit some balls. We'll, in the we'll call you a home run hitter. I'm going to pump your tires. We'll call you a home <laughs> run hitter with 40, 40, your 40, 40 potential guy. 
Oh man. Again, Johnny, <laughs> you're, you're, you're too kind. You're the man, but um, yeah, it was, it was a little bit of that, but I think after that first trip, I, I proved myself and something that I've always done since I was younger uh, since I've really started playing was, was play with a chip on my shoulder. And, you know, that's something that I can control and it really has nothing to do with getting a hit. Um, but, but from a young age, I think maybe I learned it from hockey. Um, and my dad, maybe my dad's kind of football mind. He didn't play baseball or hockey. He just, he just played football. Um, but being, being intense and just not backing down from anybody, uh, that's something that goes a long way. And that can keep you in the game. You know, that can keep you in baseball uh, when you can't get a hit, but you play like that, you can still really help your team. So that's something that, like I said, was instilled in me from a young age. And it really helped me on that first trip because, you know, you got to measure up to these guys. You got to do something to, to prove yourself. And I think that's a big reason why I did. Do you think Greg, looking back on it, because I'm trying to get, I'm, I'm going to try to get him on the show, maybe we'll see. But um, do you think if he if he looked back on it, he just expected you to be like a one trip guy, or was he like, or did he see something in you where it's like, all right, this is going to be a guy that's going to be our starting center fielder every trip, or were you like a guy where it's like, all right, this guy's working his ass off for me here, I'm going to give him a chance. Do you think if if I asked him, he would be like, I honestly only saw him as a one trip guy. Where where, where do you think he would like, uh, what his answer to that would be? It's a good question. Uh, I've never asked him that. I've never asked him that. I think that he would say something that is kind of like what he would say to me in confidence. Like he would be like, look, no one's looking at you when you get off of the bus. And there, there are people who the females are on are. your team. The females are, <laughs> we'll, we'll be honest here. Come on. The females are, but hey, yeah, keep going. Appreciate that. <laughs> really appreciate that. Um, but in terms of scouting, let's say, uh, you know, Greg explained there are people on your team that the scouts are going to look at that, and you're not one of those guys. And that's okay because when they see you play in the game, they can see how great you are and how valuable you are. Um, so, you know, things like showcases and really just kind of like looking the part they weren't really my bag. And I understood that. And I'm not offended by that at all. You know, um, people are given certain gifts when they're born and they don't all have to be big and tall and strong. You know, I think there's, there's so much value in other things. And so Greg really helped me understand that. I think I had a really, I think I did have a good understanding of that beforehand because I was so small growing up, but Greg was like, look, you got to know yourself, man. Like understand what the deal is and understand what you can do to help the team win. And that's just performing well in the game, grinding, like being a high energy guy and being using your speed because, because like I said, speed is such a valuable thing. You do not need to get a hit to help your team win when you're fast. And so I'm sure he would say something like that. I'm sure it was more like a, I saw the speed. I don't know. I saw maybe the potential to be that type of player. And he ended up being that type of player. Um, but who knows? Maybe I'll, I'll tune in if you have, have them on. Yeah. I'll, I'll figure something out. Maybe, maybe we'll get them all. Maybe I'll use you as a reference, but no, I like it's, it, it is cool to me to see, especially just a story like that, where, 
you just shoot an email and shout out to your mom for that. And you next thing you know, you're on Team C in the Dominican hitting lead off for Team Canada. It's one of the most bananas things I've ever heard in my life. It honestly, I'm still trying to concept like understand like the, the like how that's possible, but it's just crazy to me. It goes to show how fast you were just dominating the short. What are the shortstops saying? I gotta ask you that. When you were out running the shortstop, and obviously you guys go to Dominican together, was he like, what, what the fuck, man? I mean, because you you like you said, you were like you beat him by like pretty sound like soundly. Did he ever talk to you about that showcase? And like, you're fast as shit. Like, what did he say to you? I don't think we talked much about it. I don't think there was much talking at all during the whole showcase. I'm sure a lot of the kids were in my boat where they're like overwhelmed, just wanted to do well. They're just worried about themselves. Um, I'm not sure. I'm really not too sure. Yeah, I would just and wonder. That guy was older than me too. So I only played with him for a little bit afterwards. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think, I think there was maybe some buzz around the, the, the kids at the showcase and maybe the parents like this, there was one guy who ran this time and, uh, which was faster than everybody else. And I think that guy ended up being me and do, I don't do even you know, know what the time was. Do you know what the time was? I don't know what the time was. This is, you know, before all this, all the stuff, like all the lasers and all that stuff. Okay. That makes sense. Yes. And it was like on a Ontario baseball field, you know, the grass was high and like, we're wearing baseball pants. It's, it's not quite the same. So who knows what I actually ran that day. Um, yeah. And, and the show, the sixties, as you know, I mean, it doesn't really depict much. Nothing. Um, Nothing. Yeah. When, when I was in high school, I ran it like with the Ontario Blue Jays. And then when I was in college at Mississippi State, kind of before the draft, I ran it. But ever since then, I haven't even run one. So, yeah. OK, so you step foot on Mississippi State and I got to just give a big shout out to my guy who was your teammate there, who I'm assuming you're close with Brent Rooker, an absolute legend of the game, legend of this podcast. When you're playing with these American guys, right? You step foot there. You're used to playing with Canadians and all that kind of stuff. At what at what point did you realize like this is a little bit different than playing for OBJ, or this is a little different than playing for the national team? Like this, I'm on a team full of Americans. What, what was like that culture shock for you, or even um, just on the baseball field, that kind of adjustment you had to make to your game, or just how you acted? Yes. Um, well, as I mentioned about the leveling up, this was the next level up. Uh, you know, as I was in high school being recruited, my coaches were like, hey, you can go to one of these big powerhouse schools. Like you might have to compete for a starting spot, but you can go. And I was like, all right, well, what's the best school? What's the best conference? Let's go for that. And so they, they told me the SEC is generally the best one. And sure. I was like, all right, let me get in one of those schools. And so uh, I ended up getting recruited by, by a few of them. Uh, Mississippi state was the best fit. So I chose that school. Um, this one, you might like this story. So when I was, this would have been 2012, I would have been just finishing my grade 12 year and it was the summer, um, whichever university I committed to, I had to tell them that I was going to miss the first three weeks of class and practice because I was going to be in South Korea for the Canadian junior junior um world junior championships yeah, yeah uh so mississippi state they said it's no problem um but i missed all of that kind of orientation introduction stuff uh, i just kind of rolled and everybody was we were already doing our workouts we were doing our team practice and it was like it was a lot 
Um, but I was coming from that tournament and in that tournament, you know, they, they're the best 18 year olds in the world or under 18 in the world. Um, I actually faced Otani in that tournament what? When he was in high school. Yes, this is 2012. So he, um, he was on the Japanese team. And I remember that, that was our first game was against Japan. And I was hitting leadoff. And Greg had a meeting with the team and said, all right, you know, Greg is such a straight shooter. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. Um, but he also, he just tells the truth. Um, he had us in and he, he had a meeting and he was like, look, you guys are about to face a pitcher that who's way better than anyone you've ever faced. Wow. Um, he's, he's probably the best high school pitcher in the world. And that doesn't mean you should back down from him, this, that, and the other. And he gave us a nice pep talk. And he, he was like, Hey, he throws like a hundred miles an hour. Um, so sure enough, we're in Seoul, South Korea. We're playing at like one of their big stadiums, their big pro stadiums there. And Otani's on the mound. He's 18 years old. Uh, he's throwing a hundred miles an hour and I'm, I'm hitting first. So um, that like an experience like that, kind of like made the transition to college not so bad because I'm like I just faced a hundred you know I who, whoever we're throwing here at Mississippi State they're probably not going to be throwing a hundred so at least it's not that um now you don't have to throw a hundred to be a really good pitcher but um things like that gave me a little more confidence transitioning into college and again this was the level up for me uh I, I technically went to university young Brent is one of my best friends. He went to, he's a year behind me in school, but he's like a couple of days older than me. So I could have stayed for another year of high school, but I had such a good opportunity right away. I was like, let's do it. Um, so anyway, I show up, I'm 17 years old. I show up in the fall at Mississippi state. And I, again, I took that chip on my shoulder mentality and was like, bring it on. And so I played in the fall scrimmages and I hit really well. I actually think I had the highest average on the team in, in the fall scrimmages. Um, so that I just kind of like proved myself to, to my team at that time. Um, so I guess that maybe that answers your question. No, that's there. a great answer. Like, and I always wondered that because obviously I went to a small JUCO in Nebraska, so I I have a way different experience than you. And I obviously I was a degenerate, so there's a lot of different things from our standpoint. But when you step foot on that campus, there, I got to ask you this because you're a Canadian guy, I'm a Canadian guy. The Canadian jokes must have been flying because they were for me too, right? I mean, how many people, first of all, recognize the quote unquote accent? How many dumb questions did you get from teachers, professors, teammates, all that kind of stuff? And what was it like? I'm assuming you're the only Canadian on the team. Is that correct? Yeah, well, I I actually brought Kyle Hahn with me. Okay. Kyle Hahn, Kyle Hahn was my age. Uh, he's from Oakville. He's on the Canadian Junior National Team, and he was a very high, highly recruited player. Uh, he ended up going transferring to a JUCO after that and he's done playing now but um great friend of mine you know he and i were like this at the time we were the first two canadians in history to play baseball at mississippi state so wow. uh, we we were very much a minority there um but yes culturally it was insane uh, nothing could have prepared me for how different it was there 
um, and how how little they knew about Canada. How nothing. little they knew about Canada. Nothing. Yeah. They don't know anything, dude. <laughs> yeah. So we, I got a lot of those questions where I was like, seriously, like you really, I don't know. I don't know. I was, it was, it took a while to get used to that, to their culture there. Um, and I also want to say this, like, there are some incredible people that I'm, that I met at Mississippi. Um, Brent, like Brent, who's not from Mississippi is from Memphis area, yeah. but he's one of my best friends for life. And I wouldn't have met him, uh, if I didn't go there. So I, totally don't regret going there but when i first got there it was like man this is weird for sure i had to i had to deal with some stuff that i didn't really think that was going to be an issue for me like not having a mall for like an hour and a half <laughs> um you know not having like you know you only have a certain amount of restaurants starkville's a college town and windsor's not big but we had access to the u.s we had access to toronto everything um everything and i was by the way i was in growing up you know i didn't have my own car i was getting rides from people and so it was like a lot easier access for me when i got to college it was like i really had to do some adjusting and growing up and i think that made me better off and you know it's part of growing up is is going somewhere new and learning about yourself and learning about the place and um i'm very grateful that i did go there though I will say that. Did I say Brett Rooker or no? I sent Brent, right? At the start? I think you said, I think you said Brent. Okay, perfect. I just want to double check. And maybe I'm going to clip this for the Twitter because me and Brent are in some sort of Twitter beef over office characters. Are you an office guy? Do you like the office? I do. Yeah, I've, I've watched the office. Brent okay. is an office geek. Yeah, he's an office geek like me. He's under the illusion. That I don't know if you know who Gabe is, that Gabe is the best character. It's one of the most horrendous takes I've ever read in my life. So maybe you could, are you on his side with that? Or which guy are you on the, like, who's your guy on the office? I'll say Brent. I can't say I'm surprised, but I don't know why, but I'm sure he has a very calculated answer. Uh, or his reasoning is very calculated as to why Gabe is his favorite character. Gabe is not my favorite character. Um, but to each their own, I guess. Yeah, well, I'm, we're going to we're gonna need a reasoning. I'll, I'll clip this, put it on Twitter. We're going to get a reasoning from Brent because that's one of the most outlandish takes. And after he said that, actually, his Twitter got unverified. So someone was watching and immediately took the blue check mark from him after he said that. So you hate to see it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I think Brent Brent's quite active on Twitter. He's electric. I'd, I'd say so. Yeah, I'm sure he'll get that blue check back, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that that is that probably was a bit of a sad day for him. And and I I, I got to bring this up too. So you were going to Starkville, which I'm assuming like I'm assuming you're not like that big of a party guy and stuff like that. But as a Canadian, your legal drinking age is 19, right? How weird was that for you to get there and you have legit no privileges the until you're like a junior in university? Because people don't understand that. Like we're over here, credit like. Hand up. I was drinking when I was like 18, going out when I was 18, stuff like that, having fun because it's so close to the limit, like to the age limit. But um, like how weird was that for you to be not able to do pretty much anything unless you maybe did stuff? But I mean, was that one of the weirdest adjustments for you to just be like you have no privileges until you're like 21 technically? Um, yeah, I guess it was a little bit weird looking back. I mean, kind of like you hinted at, like my sights were not really there. Um Although, you know, I, I wasn't a hermit. Um, 
but at the same time, yeah, I was, I was kind of more focused on baseball. So I don't really think about the 19 versus 21 year old thing. Um, even now I, I'm not really much of an alcohol guy, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't judge anybody who, who is, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think, you know, at any call at pretty much most colleges, I would say you could probably find whatever you're looking for. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll say that. So, I you're, mean, so I, you were I, just dialed in, you were dialed in on baseball, just complete opposite of me, which I respect the hell out of it. But when you were there, actually, I'm pretty sure Mississippi state's football team was a wagon. Was that the Dak Prescott year when you were there? Yes. The, the Dak was actually, uh, well, coming back from, from Korea, I had, we had like a 33 hour traveling time from Korea. We flew to like Tokyo, flew to LA, flew to Phoenix, flew to Birmingham, drove from Birmingham to Starkville. It was such a zoo. And, uh, I get there at like 5.00 AM and, and the coach was like, Hey, we expect you to be at your 8.00 AM class. And I, <laughs> and I was like, Oh my gosh. And so since I missed the first three weeks of class, my academic advisor gave me really more lax, I'd say classes, more electives in that semester. So my first college class ever was called history and appreciation of dance. And, uh, I showed up at 8am and I was like a zombie and they're taking attendance. And I actually, I saw a, a big old dude, muscly guy, tall, and he was wearing a boot like around his foot or ankle. I think he had turf toe at the time and it was Dak. So Dak was in my first college class ever. That um, is bananas. Yeah, no, it was, it was cool. I don't even know if he would remember me. I do remember him. He was, he was, uh, he was redshirted that year, but I, I remember the buzz around him. They're like, yeah, he's going to be good one day. And uh, I, I don't know if they knew exactly how good I didn't know how good. Um, but I also, something really cool about that class was they were taking attendance and the, the teacher called the name Marcus and this like 40 year old man raised his hand and I'm looking at him I'm like, I know this guy. And I'm like, is it just because I'm delirious or something? I've seen this guy before. And I look him in the eye. I'm like, did you play baseball? And he was like, yeah. I'm like, are you Marcus Timms? No. He was like, yeah. So Marcus Timms is like 40 years old. He had played, he had just retired from like a nine year big league career, played for the Tigers. I used to watch him. My, our seats were in left field at Comerica Park. He used to play left field for the Tigers. And he is from Mississippi. And he promised his mother when he was done playing baseball, he would go back to school. And he was in my first college class as well. And I was like, Marcus, I'm from Windsor, dude. Like I grew up watching you. And he was like, that is so cool. And so we had a really cool moment there. And I actually saw him whenever we play the Yankees. I don't know if he's with the Yankees now, but when I was coming up, like my first couple major league camps, Marcus was with the Yankees and he would go out of his way to, to shake my hand and say, hello, he still rem remembered me. So that was cool. Cool. couple little tidbits there about my first college class. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. And and we mentioned, obviously, I mentioned you as a 40-40 guy, but looking at your college stats here, um, you only had two home runs in your college career. Some may argue you're saving it for the minors and all that kind of shit. Do you remember that first college home run? And was it a nuke or was it like a wall scraper? Like, what are we doing here? Like, I didn't know this was going to be out. Yeah. Um, well, at that time, you know, I could I could always hit growing up. Uh, I could always hit, but I kind of had a lousy swing. I just kind of just swatted at the ball with my arms and it worked. Um, now my swing is much different than it was at that time. I hit two home runs in basically three years of playing baseball in, in college. <laughs> yeah. And one of them went over the fence. The other one was an inside the park home run. Really? So, yes. So awesome. uh, I think it was my sophomore year that first home run, the only one that went over the fence, I hit like basically a hard, really like a barreled up fly ball to left center and it went out oppo. And I do remember that one. That was at Kentucky. It was really cool. And it was left on left, um, which for me is an accomplishment because especially at that time, I could not hit lefties very well. So I do remember that was, that one was pretty special. I'd say. My parents were actually there um, watching that game too, which is cool. That's just as that's elect as that's as electric as it gets. And then so after your junior year, you get drafted in the eighth round by the Tigers. And actually, what you failed to, and this is why I'm saying like you're such a humble dude, because you failed to mention you got drafted out of high school, which is something that I would mention right off the bat to people, even if I didn't like sign out of high school. But you did get drafted out of high school. So for the people listening, you did get drafted out of high school. And who was the team? Who was it? It was the Padres. Padres. So the pa- you're the one that got away for the San Diego Padres. That's what we're going to tab it as. But you get drafted <laughs> by the Tigers here. Did you know you were going to go eighth round? Or what were you expecting earlier, later? Or was that like exactly where you thought you were going to go? Or like your agent told you you were going to go? Um, well, that year I actually broke my hand and missed a month of playing. I was hitting really well. I think I was hitting over 400 at the time I broke my hand. And uh, it really sucked. I came back probably earlier than I should have. And I didn't hit batting practice before the game because my hand hurt so badly. So the first swings I would take in that uh, of the day were in the game. And wow. so I did a lot of like, I hit a lot of flares to left field and just my top hand was not strong. Um, struck out a lot and just, it took me a while to get back into the groove. This would have been in 2016. And uh, I still hit pretty well. But um, I was really rolling. So I, I, I guess we'll never know what would have happened if I didn't break my hand. But I going into draft day, I thought I was going to go earlier than I did. 
I thought I was probably going to go anywhere from the third round to the sixth round, um, which is what my agent was saying. But as you know, um, and if the listeners don't know by now, the, the MLB draft is so unpredictable. Uh, it's crazy. You know, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the times, especially when they get into the later rounds, they just kind of throw a name out there and, and pick the guy. Um, so, you know, eighth round, it wasn't like exactly a disappointment. Uh, it wasn't exactly where I thought I was going to go, but at the same time, I knew if I got drafted in the top 10 rounds, I was going to sign. And so when that moment came and the Tigers drafted me, um, I was like, all right, sweet. I think, I think I'm out of here. So the, the actual moment that it happened was kind of cool. We had a super regional game against Arizona and the draft. My parents were in town because they knew it was maybe one of the last college games I was going to play. Um, they were with me the morning of that, of the draft. And I was sort of waiting by the phone. I had some teams call me, um, but I didn't get drafted. So I go to the field. We take batting practice. I still don't get drafted. We have a scouting report, a team scouting report, team meeting, nothing. And I'm about to go to the field to warm up for my game. And I just look at my phone and it's blank. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not even going to get drafted today. And uh, a random phone number called me. I didn't have the number saved. And I said, hello. And he said, hey, Jacob, uh, are you ready? We're going to get you. And I said, yeah. And he said, all right, sounds good. Thanks. I said, all right, thanks. Bye. And I hung up and I had no idea who it was. And I didn't know what team drafted me, but that mo at that moment I had been drafted. So I just like checked Twitter and uh, it said the Tigers picked me. So I was like, that's sweet. That is an absolute power move to just get what. So did you, were you buzzing that game? Did you go to three for three, two doubles? You just got drafted, dude. Or were you pissed off? Like what happened there? I don't remember what I did that game. Uh, I don't remember what I did. I do remember taking the field and the fans. Mississippi State has some of the best fans in the country. Um, they're incredible. Seriously, they are so incredible. And that that playing for those guys really helped it helped me play in like high stakes, high pressure games and like stay calm under pressure. Um, but anyways, those fans are so dialed in on everything. They knew it was the Tigers. And so they were congratulating me as I was warming up on the, on the left field line. So that part was really cool. Uh, I don't remember what happened in that game. I don't, we'll say three really for don't. three. So uh, I'm going to, we're, we're headline grabbers here. So raw, you went three for three, two dubs. Uh, that's what you did in that <laughs> game. But I want to go into the minors, man, because obviously I love the minor leagues. I'm so fascinated by it because I can relate to it technically because I went to JUCO. So I've been in the trenches like you have. And you've, you, you're a minor league grinder. I think you have over 2,000 at-bats. Is that right? I, I don't know if that's correct. That's, like I said, JUCO. Brand. Let me let me see right here. Minors. It could be. I got no clue, man. Yeah, you got 2,130 right. at-bats in the, in the minor leagues, dude. That is a grind. And you're one game away from 500. I mean, we got to figure something out there. But – so 2,100 at-bats. 
You've played everywhere, all right? Where is one town that you've played in your minor league career where you're like, one, I'm never coming back here, or two, where the hell am I right now? Like, what's that weird town for you where it's it, it's just like a weird hotel, weird ballpark, you don't know what you're doing. What's that town for you, and why is it Beloit, Wisconsin? <laughs> I did not play there. I'm sure it would be there uh, <laughs> if I had played there. Um Man, that's a good question. I've been to a lot of weird places. A lot, a lot, a lot of weird places. Man. I don't know. I don't know. I you think played the, in the, the pen? New no. York Penn League. Uh, oh, oh, okay, my God. I'll say this. I'll say this. I'll say it. Um, Auburn, New York. Yeah. Auburn Double Days. Yeah, that was my, my short season New York Penn League debut. Um, I got to the field and was like, what the, like, where am I? <laughs> it's exactly what you described. It was like, what, what time is it? How are people existing in this place? <laughs> um, you know, I, I always kind of have a little bit of that whenever I go somewhere, I just kind of imagine like, wow, people really do live here and like they live their lives here. And I'm sure people <laughs> think that way about Windsor too. Like when they 100%, go there, hundred percent. Um, so yeah, I think probably Auburn, probably Auburn back in 2016. That was a while ago. Oh man. Yeah. That's yeah. Auburn. We've, we, I think we've had Auburn on here before, but just Beloit, Wisconsin got the most ricochet shots on this podcast. And I don't know if you've heard stories about that place, but they actually, I think we bullied them to make a new stadium because they have a new stadium. Now it looks like it's state of the art. It's nice. I think we bullied them and we got, I got tagged in a lot of stuff. Like you bullied Beloit, Wisconsin to make a new ballpark because apparently there was like sand in the locker room. So you were walking on sand after a shower. It was just a nightmare. And going into minor leagues, obviously, we're going to stay here. I need to know your minor league story that sticks out to you during your time there. And I know I'm putting you on the spot, but I'll give you a couple examples. So we've had a couple guys where fans were at a bachelor party in Beloit. Kind of weird that I mentioned that. And they climbed a light pole, got a Snapchat on top of the foul pole. Sorry, not the light pole. We've had stories in Modesto, California of fans climbing the light pole with a machete we've had stories of fans waiting outside of buses to fight players because they said they're going to wait for them we've had fans think the vip lounge was in the the dugout and they were just sitting in the dugout so what is your minor league story where it's like this is something i want to tell my grandkids that i experienced playing professional baseball (laughs) oh man i could go on and on about that um i'll give you a really good one I'll give you a really good one. That's kind of partially my fault. Um, take it back to 2017. This would have been my first full season. I'm in low a, which is West Michigan, Grand Rapids. Um, we are the best team in the league and I am hitting really well. I'm actually at that time. I was one of the best hitters in the league. Um, we had a ton of great players in that league, by the way, on that all-star team. Um, Bo Bichette, Vladdy, and Tatis. Bichette, Vlad, and Tatis were all on my the same team as me, <laughs> the all-star team. Uh, I, I'll say this. I was on their team. I don't know if they were on <laughs> yeah, my team. I was on their team. I was on their team. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, a lot of, lot of major leaguers. Dustin May. Um, Jesus Christ. Just to name a few. Yeah, there were some, there were some big dogs in that league. But anyway, 2017. Um, the best place to play in that league is Dayton, Ohio. Dayton is yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, they do it right. They're sold out like every game. And um, anyway, it's Friday night in Dayton. Dayton is the second best team. They are our rival. They're kind of the only team that can hang with us at this point of the season. And it's Friday night and it's a really close game. And there's a man on third base with two outs. I'm hitting. And umpire calls strike two, really low fastball. And it's down. It's, it's a ball. He calls it a strike. I don't react. No worries. I know I got two strikes on me. All good. And then a, a pitcher throws another fastball, and it's up. Clearly up at the ball. I get rung up. Strike three. And the place is going crazy. I calmly turn. I try and stay as level, level-headed as I can. I'm sure all baseball players do. Um, I was very calm in this situation. I looked at the umpire and just calmly said, hey, you can't call this, this one. And I motioned for the low pitch and this one. You got to pick one. That's what I said to him. And he kind of looked at me and, and didn't say anything back, which is a good sign. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So our dugout is flipping out on the umpire. I turn and walk. I'm the third out of the inning. I turn and walk back to the dugout. And I realize my, I'm playing center field at the time. My outfield partner is standing in the four hole and he's got my hat and glove. He's picked me up. Okay. So we're about to go on defense. I'm jogging out to get my glove and I hear somebody go, Hey, Robson. Again, yell, Hey, Robson. I turn around. The only person I see that's within earshot is the umpire, the base umpire, <laughs> first base. And I go, what? I'm trying to think, have I seen this guy before? Like, do I know his face? I'm like, no, I don't know this guy. He goes, you guys are going to have us all effing year, so why don't you save it? And I turned to him, I'm like, thinking like, did I do anything to this guy ever? And I turn around and go, what'd you say? And he goes, you heard me. So I got red hot. I mean, I was literally <laughs> seeing red. So I walk right up to him and the, basically the hockey player in me comes out. We go, we're chest to chest and we're just like chirping each other. Like we could have <laughs> kissed. We're like chirping each other. And he was trying to get me to hit him. Uh, he was trying to instigate to, to get me to fight him. And I kind of like gave him like a, just one of these with my chest, just kind of like shoved forward he kind of like takes a step back. I'm thinking he's going to throw me out of the game. No, he comes back in. We keep going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then I just, I just took my hands and just two hands shoved him in, in the chest. Okay. <laughs> and I gave him a hand gesture about one inch from his face. And then I turned around and walked off the field. Um, That's <laughs> <laughs> and uh i don't even remember what we said when we were really close um <laughs> it was one of those things like i said I, I was walking off the field like upset at myself that i didn't pop him in the jaw i was like <laughs> so upset and then i get in the locker room and like i'm shaking you know and my adrenaline's running and our manager by the way i'm walking off the field our manager i can see is sprinting over to the umpire and he's the best manager I think I've ever played for. Um, 
I instantly knew he was going to get thrown out too. So I'm like, all right, I'm about to see him in the locker room. So I, I'm, I'm like red hot, shaking in the locker room. He comes in, he's, he goes, let's go. Tell me what happened. So we went in his office and I told him exactly what happened, kind of like what I just said. And he wrote it all down. And uh, I want to say this. Before we went to Dayton, I realized that I forgot my jersey. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> I forgot my jersey. So I wore someone else's. I wore a different number for that game. <laughs> I wore number six. And I was not number six. I wore number seven on that team. Um, so everybody for the rest of the year, and even still, the guys who really know me, they, they tell me my alter ego is, is six, the number six. Uh, so anyway, the next night, my host mom, she ships my number seven jersey in. And I, from the league, the league had told me that I was suspended four games and I was fined. Uh, I can't remember how much. It wasn't too much, like under 200 bucks, maybe 150 bucks. And the next night, my number seven jersey came in. And the thing about suspensions in that league is you can pick which days you're going to be suspended. What so I played, the, I played the next night. What? But I wore number seven. I wore my normal number. And like the fans are like, that's Robson. He was, he was like wearing a different shirt last <laughs> night, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, I'm, I know that I'm allowed to play. So anyway, that's, a, that's a crazy minor league story for you. Uh, it was just the icing on the cake that I just wasn't even wearing my own jersey. Um, so, yeah. Oh my God. That might be one of the, I can't wait to clip that. That might be one of the best stories like of a player interaction I've ever heard. Like we've had the, one of the funniest stories also, maybe you've seen this in your minor league career. I'm not sure if it was Heasley, Jonathan Heasley on the Royals or someone who started this, but he started a bench clearing brawl. But before the fight started, he he like he had to run to the dugout and just projectile vomited so he couldn't fight. So he started a whole fight and vomited from like the nerves and like the adrenaline on the mound and couldn't participate in the in the bench clearing brawl. It's one of, we've had some of the craziest story. I, it, it's absolutely bananas. And talking about bench clearing brawls, have you come close to having, besides that, obviously with the umpire, but have you come close in your minor league career to like two teams that hate each other so much or two organizations that hate each other so much that it's like, we're, we're brawling here. No, like no ifs, ands, or buts. Someone threw at you. Yeah. I think two nights after that, we got in a brawl. <laughs> what a series. What a yeah. series. Was, was Amir on that team? We're I'm, we're a big Amir Garrett guys. Was he on that team or was he in the show by that time? What year was no that? he he was not in A ball at the time. He was either in AAA or in the show. But um, we we had a brawl. Uh, I was playing center field. I ran in. It's on YouTube, I think. I ran in and I see a guy. We have a, a guy, Venezuelan bullpen pitcher. He threw he threw really hard. I see him running out of the corner of my eye, and he turns his hat backwards. <laughs> Okay. He turns his hat backwards. He pulls a baseball no. out of his back pocket and takes a crow hop and throws it as hard as he can, literally right in front of me. <laughs> and it smokes another pitcher on their team and it hit him right in the belt. Like oh, it just missed his jump. God. And so I went into like damage control mode there. I was not like going to throw any haymakers. I just was like, Hey, Hey, like trying to calm it down because some guy just got smoked by a baseball. <laughs> Um, so the, that happened, but yeah, we Dayton and West Michigan did not like each other that year. Um, 
me along with five other players, I think got promoted at the all-star break. We, we made the all-star team and then got promoted to, to high A. So we didn't get to finish the year there, but there, there was a huge rivalry between West Michigan and Dayton that year. The minor leagues are the best. I, I can't get enough of it. Like just some of the stories, man, like, the Lansing Lugnuts used to have sorority night and all the players would wheel the sorority girls. Like it's just, I love minor league baseball, bro. Like the strikeout hitter. Oh man. It's just, I, it just, I can't wait for it to start again, to be honest. Like, especially being here where I'm close to like the New York Penn league, like, um, like triple a with like Lehigh Valley, Buffalo Bisons. And I'm really close to Detroit. So I, you just get to see all this shit, but uh, so obviously you rake in the minors. I believe you're like a 290 career hitter in the minors. Is that good? You tell me. People listening, people who are chir- if someone ever chirps you on Twitter, I'm just gonna pull up the baseball reference for it. But you get called up to the show. Obviously it's a short stint. Seven. I think you only got seven at bats. But what was that like for you to get that call to the show? What happened? Did you tear up? Be honest here. There's a couple tears coming down your face. What was that? You're, you're, you're in the show. You're a show guy now. What was that experience like for you? Just getting that call. Um, that's a great question, Johnny. I'm going to pause you and give you one more little thing about that last story. Cause I forgot. Oh, okay. I don't want to, I love the story. I, no, I love the stories. Keep it going. I don't want to sell you short. Um, I actually served my suspension the four games leading up to the all-star break. So I would have a longer break again, my <laughs> manager just being a homie and hooking me up with those games. So That's the so last lucky. four games, the last four games of the first half, I was in the stands. That's so um, sick. I couldn't even dress and we clinched playoffs. So in, in that league, if you have the best record in the first half, you clinch playoffs. So we did. And we like celebrated on the field, but I was watching from the stands. So I celebrated in my street clothes and we have like this big, big picture of, of the whole team. And I'm standing there in shorts and a t-shirt. Like literally I look like the, the golf video shirt. guy. You're wearing the golf shirt, aren't you? You're wearing the, I, I might've even been sloppier than that. I think I was just wearing like a gray t-shirt. Um, but anyway, I look, I definitely look like the video guy of some sort on that team. But uh, anyway, sorry, we'll, we'll get back to the, the big league question. That um, was amazing. You know, I got called up almost at midnight the previous night. And my manager was like, hey, you're going to join the team tomorrow in Baltimore. They got a day game. And your your Uber's at like 6 a.m. And I was like, oh, all right, well, here we go. Uh, I got to call all these people. You know, I spent like three hours calling everybody. Damn. Um, I had a special moment when I called my parents. Uh, my mom's dad was a baseball guy. Um, we grew up watching the Tigers together. He played baseball. And he and I were really, really, really close. Um, he passed away in 2014. Um, but ever since then, I've kind of like, I, I have this tattoo right here of him, of his name. Yeah. And so every game that I play, I touch this tattoo, touch my chest and point up. Uh, just kind of to remind him like, hey, you know, we did it. Like, just to, to be grateful for every game I play, I guess. For sure. Um, so, so anyways, my mom and I had a moment where we were like, imagine, you know, like what grandpa is thinking right now. That's crazy, And so we, we definitely teared up. We definitely teared up. Um, tried to call as many people as I could, you know, everybody was freaking out and uh, I had to pack up all my stuff. I had an Uber at six. I don't get done calling everybody until like three. 
uh, and packing up my stuff till like three 30. So as you know, if you got an early morning flight, it's probably hard to get any sleep anyway. Cause you know, you got to be up early. Uh, this one was even more emphasized. I probably slept like 45 minutes <laughs> and, uh, I get in my Uber, I get on the flight. I had to do COVID test stuff, sitting in a trailer by myself outside the ballpark in Baltimore. Wow. Like I'm in the Uber, like the Uber's like, Hey, where are you going? I'm like the baseball field. <laughs> like, I don't know where, but like, I got to get in this building, I guess. And so I walking by the ushers. Hey, you guys know where the uh, clubhouse is for the visiting team? Like I'm, I'm on the team now. So I kind of need to go there. And uh, so once I got to the clubhouse, it was really cool. Uh, AJ Hinch. I, legend. I, legend. Yeah, no, he's, he's awesome. He's awesome. I, I went to his office and shook his hand. And he congratulated me. And he's the first thing he said was like, you're not getting in this game today. And I was like, all right. And he said, you're going to start tomorrow. So tell your parents. And the game was in Detroit and it was a Friday night. So I I was like, this is going to be sweet. I can kind of hang out, relax. But as you know, baseball and life is, is unpredictable. Uh, Ended up getting in the game. Um, He also mentioned it again in the scouting report, like, Hey, welcome Robson here. Uh, But he's not getting in this game unless it's to score the game winning run, pinch run, something like that. So um, the advice I kept getting from everybody was like, look around, take it all in and, uh, and then just take a breath and then play. Like don't try and ignore the environment because that's going to make it worse. Yeah. So I think with the humidity there in Baltimore, the, the temperature, it felt like a hundred and, 114 something like that it was crazy hot crazy crazy hot i had taken like two rounds of bp in the cage like i just flips nothing serious because i was just i was so fried and uh didn't think i was really going to get in but the bench coach george lombard awesome guy by the way awesome guy he's got a ring world series ring with the dodgers he turns and looks at me and he goes, Hey, Griner, who was our catcher at the time, he goes, Griner's not looking so good. And then he just turns back around. And I'm like, What what's he saying here? And then I looked around and our other catcher, Eric Haas, great dude, by the way, he's in left field. His bat was so hot, they needed him in the lineup every day. Yeah. They just threw him out in left field. Um so I'm like, wait, we don't have another catcher. So if Griner comes out of the game, Haas has to catch, which means there's an open spot in left field. So I'm like starting to like wrap my head around maybe getting in the game. And they go check on Griner. This is the fifth inning with two outs. They go check on him. They come back. George looks at me. He goes, he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. So I'm like, all right, all right. Pressure's off. And then they make the third out. And it's be the top of the sixth. Yeah. The the Orioles are bringing in a guy from the pen. I see him jogging in. George turns and looks at me. He goes, you're in for Griner. <laughs> and I go, I go, all right. Well, when's he up? He goes, second. And I was like, all right. Well, I know what to do from here. So I just put my helmet on and got on deck, to be honest with you. <laughs> oh, my God. I, honestly... Yeah. That kind of makes it a little bit better. I could be wrong on this, like just because I'm a mental midget, but 
it makes it better not having a massive buildup where it's you're thinking about it all night. You're thinking about it in the morning. You're just thrown in the lineup. Am I wrong on that? Like it makes you a little bit less nervous if you're just thrown in. Yeah, I it's hard to compare it because I didn't have the buildup thing happen to me. Um, I don't know if they did it on purpose or not. I don't think they wanted me in the game, but I think it was more like the catcher's hurt. Like you got to go in this dang game. We just called you up. We need you. Yeah, And um, the, the cool thing was it was a day game in Baltimore. It was Baltimore versus the Tigers, two teams without an exceptional record. Yeah. So it wasn't like it was a packed house and it wasn't like it was like a huge, meaningful game. So it was like it was a little more chill that way, I'd say. It was a nice transition into that league uh, instead of just being thrown into the fire the, the next night in Friday night in Detroit. Um, but anyway another piece of, of important advice that I got, and this is for anybody. Um, if anybody plans on making it to the major leagues one day, this advice really helped me. And it was when you're on deck, wait for your name to be called before you walk up to home plate, because it only happens for the first time once. Wow. And, and so the first hitter got out or yeah, I think he got out. And I just sat there. I was like on deck and the announcer was kind enough to, to announce that it was my debut. He said now making his major league debut for the, for the Detroit Tigers, number 74, Jacob Robson. And I'll never forget that. Um, It was incredible. The umpire congratulated me. the, The catcher congratulated me. And I was like, from here, I know what to do. I'm a baseball player. We're playing baseball. But every, everything up to that moment was was incredible. It was surreal. Well, I mean, obviously, looking at your stats, I mean, you deserved it. Just the guy's hitting like 290 career hitter. But it is – it's crazy the fact that you kind of – not you don't act like a kid again, but you're just looking around the ballpark. Like, where – were you looking – like, yeah, were you looking around the ballpark? Like, I can't believe I'm here. Did you have that moment where it's like, I'm a big leaguer? Like, what was that moment for you? Or did you have it? Or have you had it yet? Yeah, I had that moment. Um, definitely when I got there, it was more just like taking it in. I couldn't even think of whether or not I'm a big leaguer, Yeah, uh, to be honest with you. And, um, you know, I got my first fly ball out of the way. Somebody just hit like a can of corn fly ball to left field. I caught it and was like, all right, that one's done. Put the first ball in play. That one's done. Um, so just kind of little things like that. Uh, the next night in Detroit, I played left field and this is when Miggy was chasing his 500th home run. So every game in Detroit was packed. It was like the most amount of fans Detroit has had in the last six years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm starting Friday night. We play in the Indians and I made a, a nice play in left field. It was a sliding catch in foul territory. And I think after that moment, I was like, all right, I'm a big leaguer. I think that was my moment. Um, I was, so yeah. it was pretty cool. I was actually at that game in Toronto for Miggy's uh, 500th home run because my one of our good friends of the podcast, Kevin Smith, made his MLB debut, um, and that and obviously Zach Short was there and all those guys. But yeah, that Miggy, that, the Miggy chasing stuff was great. Did Miggy has Miggy ever given you any advice or he see anything in your swing where he's like maybe work on this or anything like that? Um. Well, I you know actually for that 500th homer, I was on Taxi Squad, so I was in the the clubhouse for that. Uh, really? That was pretty cool. 
yeah, it was, it was really cool that AJ let me get out, come on that trip. And, uh, I got to experience that, that moment, um, not from the dugout, but I still was there in the building. So it was, it was pretty cool. And what Miggy does when he's DHing is in between at bats, he'll come in the locker room and chill out, hang out and, uh, you know, do a Sudoku puzzle, things like that. <laughs> he's, uh, he's very much a normal person. I think people don't realize that. Uh, he was sent on onto this planet to to hit baseballs, so that's for sure. But he's also just a person uh, in sure. a lot of ways. So after he hit his 500th home run, he came in. I dapped him up. You know, he was hanging out with us in the clubhouse, and uh, he was like, "I feel 20 pounds lighter and whatever." <laughs> so it was uh, it was a really special moment. But um, I don't remember what your question was, Johnny. Sorry. No, I. I- I don't even remember what it was either. Oh no, the big league experience, the, like the big league moment. You just said you had it, so we're, so that that question was answered. But this is the second last thing that I want to bring up here because obviously, like I said before, we oh start- sorry, don't mean to interrupt you. You asked about Miggy, what I learned from him. Yes, yes, fuck yeah, you're good. There you go. Sorry, Thank you. Sorry, Thank sorry, you. Yeah, sorry, no, that's sorry. great. That's great. I, that's actually something I wanted to know. So, Miggy is a is a kid. He's a kid in a, in a man's body, an almost 40 year old man's body. And it's a giant body, um, but he's a kid and he plays like that. And he has a lot of fun doing it. And that's the only way that, that I think you can make it through that much baseball without going crazy is you have fun. And that is my biggest takeaway from Miggy. Like you can learn a lot from someone who's just happy, go lucky and having fun and enjoying what they're doing. It's like, it's so simple and it's not lackadaisical. Like he still gets his work done. Like he works just like we all do, but he does it with joy. And for someone like me, like I have in my career, I have overthought things. I've overdone things. I've taken things too seriously. So like, it's really refreshing seeing a legend like that go about his business with joy. And that is the biggest thing I learned from Miggy for sure. Yeah, that's what actually the create. That's exactly what Zach Short said. Like Zach Short said, the thing that amazes him about Miggy, I'm pretty sure he said this was how loose he is, and that's something that Zach Short said he has to emphasize in his game. I don't know if he, obviously you played with Zach, you know exactly. Zach's kind of he over. He said he overthinks stuff and all that kind of stuff, but he said that's one of the things that he learned with Miggy. And this, like I said, the second last thing I want to talk about, obviously. The Tigers have so many damn prospects. And one guy that I'm so fascinated by who I've canned up, I've DM'd him a couple times, come on the show, R-Bomb. It's fine. Not R-Bomb, actually. Left on set. Spencer Torkelson, dude. What? This guy amazes me. He is a freak of nature. It looks like he was chiseled to play baseball, meant to play baseball. What have you seen from this dude that makes him different than, let's say, other prospects you play against or big league guys you play against or stuff like that? Tork is a great dude. He is a great dude for a guy who has as much money as he does. He, he's a very humble person and he really is just one of the guys. He likes to have fun. Um, he's a great hitter. He murders baseballs. The thing about torque, I think that is going to really help him. And I think that helps him. That has helped him get to this point so far is his competitive nature. Like he is ultra, ultra competitive, like next level competitive. Like he is a gamer. He wants to compete more than anything. And you can tell, like, that's what he lives for. He lives for one-on-one battle. Let's go. So 
That's so electric. I love I love Torque. I love playing with him. I want him on my team. Like he's one of those guys. I want him on my team. And he's a winner. He wants to win. He's not like a lackadaisical type of person. He's not like a I just hope both teams have fun type of guy. He's like, no, I want to crush you. And uh I admire that about him. I totally do. And and yeah, great teammate. Great teammate. I think one of the I think the best compliment you can have as a player, and you may have heard this just from talking to all these guys, is being called a great teammate. For because sure. That's me. I'm a locker room guy. I'm the I'm the yeah. great teammate. Yes, that's what that is that is more important than getting all these hits and punching out all these guys than throwing hundred miles an hour, hitting all these homers. It is more important because that really shows who you are. And I think that is invaluable and it, and it translates to life too. Being a good teammate is so, so important, especially it's something that I've taken really to heart moving forward in my career, because that's what you remember. Like yeah. Torque is going to, Torque's going to go on and hit a bunch of homers for sure. For sure. But like, People aren't gonna. People are gonna remember the little nuances in the locker room. People are gonna remember the little nuances in the hotel, the little hangout sessions, you know, little heart to hearts that you have with a guy. Like that is what sticks, and like that's what life. I I mean I don't have life figured out, but that seems to be more of what life's about. The way and, that I see. Yeah, it. And, and another point for that, like let's say hypothetically you go to another team, right? I mean the impression you leave on your coaches and all that stuff, they can leave good words for you for that other organization you go to. You don't want to go to another organization and have guys be like, oh, this guy's a shitty human being, right? You want to have that good word where you get signed or traded or somewhere else where there's guys on the team that have boys that you played with and they're like, dude, I love this guy. You know, you, you want to be that. That, that. That's like the main thing that I really noticed in the minor leagues too. That's an excellent point. Being a good teammate can keep you in the game. It can keep you in the game. When you when you don't play well, being a good teammate really can can take you far. You want a team, a winning team. You want a team with good chemistry. So things like that, like you need guys like that on every single team. And you yes, you do need the guys who get the glory for the homers, for the strikeouts, for this, that, and the other. But you need the team. You need the team to come together and win games. So being one of those guys, I think, is is very valuable. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, it's just, that's something that I resonated in my career is I don't, I couldn't tell you one game I played in Juco, like remembering one game, but I could tell you the nights that me and the guys got after it and we did like, let's just say stupid shit, or we just had a good time, like just having a couple beers, watching a movie or just me and my buddy used to do bachelor. And I used to just drink a bag of wine, and just watch bachelor. I remember every single one of those nights. I don't remember one game for my Juco. I seriously don't. And that's one thing that obviously it's good, especially you and your career where you understand that because some guys don't, I feel like some guys definitely don't understand that. Right. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I mean, dude, life is just way too short to make it all about the performance and make it all about on field. Like you spend way more time off the field and like sure. your career is only so long. And like, you've heard the story, the story a thousand times goes by in a second, this, that, and the other. It's like, baseball is amazing. It's a great game. I'm very grateful for it. It's taken me around the world. It's, it's had me meet, uh, it's helped me meet some of the best friends that I have. But it really, in the grand scheme of things, is not important. Um, 
there are much more important things in life. And there are people out there doing way more important, productive jobs for the world than hitting baseballs. <laughs> yeah. Or I wouldn't even say hitting baseballs, than trying to hit baseballs. Because most yeah. of baseball is just people missing the ball. So, um, you know, it's just to put things into perspective, like I'm, I'm a baseball player. I'm very grateful for that. It's what I do. It's my path. It's my calling. But there are much more important things out there. And like that gives me the freedom to play like I have nothing to lose. If that makes sense. Yeah. People get wound up and I have fall, fallen victim to this too. They get wound up. They're working so hard and it's just like, they don't see, they don't zoom out. And like, I think the people who zoom out and just see it as a game and have fun with it, like Miggy, those people put themselves in the best position to have success. Yeah. And they live their lives stress-free more or less compared to that, to that guy who's super wound up taking himself real seriously thinks everyone in the world is watching him and judging his every move. It's like, no, nah, that, that ain't what it's about, man. And that's not going to get your best play out of you on the field. The more loose you are, the better. That's something that I wish I knew when I was playing. Cause I was just an absolute psychopath, but, and this is the last thing I want to bring up here because I have a proposition because like I said, I'll be fighting your fights on Twitter for you. What's going on with your Twitter? I mean, it, no tweets since 2019. Is that true? What's the deal there? Yeah, I tried to get on one day. It wouldn't let me get on. Okay, we're going to get that uh, back. Because you're not following anyone. It's one of the biggest power moves I've ever seen. You're not following anyone, and you have like 3,000 followers. It's one of the biggest ratio. It's it's a power move. I respect it. Yeah, I guess it would be the infinite, infinite ratio there. Yeah. Um, I it, it really – I wasn't like Brent, like tweeting – Brent's great. Brent's like a very smart, witty person and good with words. And – I think it's a good thing that he, he tweets as much as he does. I wasn't that frequent of a tweeter, but yeah, I just kind of like tried to log in one day and they didn't let me. So I just gave it a rest to be honest with you and stayed off of it. But yeah, I guess I would be nice to have it back. Yeah. Let's get, let's get your Twitter back because I would love to be monumental. The first, the one of the first tweets you actually compose on your Twitter and we got to start a campaign to get you back because obviously you're just the most Canadian dude ever. I think your background's the Canadian flag. Like it's just, this guy's a ride or die Canadian guy. So you just love to see it. And this is the last thing I want to bring up here. What is your goals? Cause we mentioned the being loose. We mentioned all that kind of stuff. And obviously you have that showtime under your belt now where you're going to be a little more loose when you, when the next time you're up there, what is some of the goals? Cause obviously we're in spring training right now. What are some of the goals that you have going into this season? Is it be more loose? What is it? Yeah. Um, I used to have all these goals, put up this number, get to this level, this, that, and the other, but like, I kind of did them all. Like I made it, I made it. Yeah. Um, my, my dream has been fulfilled, you know, does that mean I don't want to make it back? No. I mean, I, I want to get to the big leagues. The big leagues is the best league in the world. And getting back there and staying there means I'm one of the best players in the world. And that's amazing. That truly, truly is amazing. However, baseball and the minor leagues and the major leagues is so, there are so many things that happen that are out of your control and hitting the ball and playing well on the field and having a good attitude. Those things are in your control. That's all I'm worried about. That's all I care about. And in order for me to do that, I need to be loose and free and easy. 
so I don't overthink because I've overthought before and I've been wound up and I've had sl- many sleepless nights, even after good games, just thinking about the game. That's, and that's crazy. Like, yeah, no, I, I, I'm a thinker man. I'm a thinker. So, and it's, it's a blessing and a curse. So for me, my goal, literally you, you said it, it was to stay loose, to stay loose and be loose and to be present the whole year and not get wound up about something that I did in the past, not be worried about the future. Just be in the moment, man. Like being present, being fulfilled, being at peace with myself. That's more important than any stat I can put up. And, and in turn, I believe that's what's going to get me the best numbers. For um, sure. A good buddy of mine is Castellanos, Nick Castellanos. Oh, he, ever heard of him? He embodies that personality more than anyone I've ever met that plays baseball. He truly doesn't. It doesn't matter to him. He wants to be at peace. He wants to be present. And he knows he's going to hit the ball. You know what I mean? Like, he's going to miss the ball sometimes. He's going to hit the ball sometimes. He doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. He doesn't dwell on what happens yet. What happened yesterday. He just lives in the moment. And I aspire to be that way. Like, like that is my goal. That really is. This offseason, I sat back and really thought about it. And was like, what's going to get me the best play on the field? And I was like, when do I play my best? And it was like, I play my best when I have nothing to lose, when I'm playing loose, free, and easy. And when I just don't care about the results. And so it sounds simple and cliche, but that's, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do, Johnny. And I think, I think I'm going to put up the best numbers I've ever put up because of that. That's a good mindset. And you can attest to this. What I noticed during my playing career is the guys that were the best were the guys that literally didn't give a flying fuck about baseball. Like for me, I would be doing two a day workouts. I'd be in the cage and it wouldn't, it wouldn't equal any results because I would be like, why isn't this happening to me? I'm hitting twice a day. I'm working out morning and afternoon. I'm eating while I'm grinding. I'm watching film on like good hitters. Why isn't this happening to me? And then there'd be a guy that would just be running Fortnite for six hours, show up to the field late and would go four for four. That's the biggest thing in baseball that some people don't understand is this could be wrong, but the more you care and the more you put, like you invest your mind into it, the worse you're going to be, man. It's just, it's about being loose. That's the biggest thing that I wish I knew six years ago or five years ago when I was playing. I think guys who really take pride in working hard, like, like I do and I did, and it sounds like you did, like sometimes they can fall victim to having a death grip on the game. Yeah. And that ain't how you play. You need to let go and just, it's not going anywhere. You know, I think that's, I needed to realize that. And people mistake the guy who plays Fortnite for being complacent. And it's like, dude, you can overdo anything in life. Like life is about balance. I I think that too. I'm all about that. It's like, you really just need to do what you can to be present in the moment. And sometimes I've been in that guy who's, who's done two hitting sessions a day, looking at video all day, filming every swing I take, two workouts a day. And it's like, why am I doing that? <laughs> yeah. It's like I, I was doing it because I was afraid to fail instead of just being confident and wanting to succeed and knowing whatever happens, happens, and I'm going to be okay with it. Like that's, that's the mentality that I want. And 
someone like Castellanos, like Castellanos is not a cage rat. He doesn't go hit in the cage like everybody else does. Like he just knows he's going to have it. He's a wow. very special player, but like he knows he's going to have it. Obvi- and, and I haven't seen him in a couple of years, but I'm sure he, that hasn't changed about him. You That's know, people incredible. are always like, Nick can roll out of bed and rake. He can roll out of bed and hit no matter what. It's like when you have the confidence like that and you don't overdo it and you don't have a death grip on the game, maybe you can wake and rake. You know, it's like there's something to all that. For sure. Well, man, I mean, what what interview? Like I said, I had to get you on. I, I say I say that a pretty good amount of time, but like you being a Canadian guy and you making that debut from uh, playing at Tecumseh. And for people that don't understand this, Tecumseh, like no disrespect, it, if you're playing in the OBA, which is the Ontario Baseball Association, you're not a good, like you're not a great baseball player. It, it, it sucks to say it because now there's all these travel team stuff now in Canada. But for the people that don't really understand, because we're gonna have, we have a lot of American listeners. For people that don't understand, if you play OBA, the shot of you even going to like a Division One school or probably like one percent, two percent—I I could be wrong on that—but it's very small. So just to see where you came from is insane. What an ins- what an incredible interview! Like like I said, my guy. And when you and you have my word here, and like I said, I'm I'm one of the most trustworthy dudes of all time. When you play again at Comerica Park, it's only a three-hour drive. I will be there, and you and you could you could hold my ass to the fire on that. When you play again at Comerica Park, I will be at that game. I don't give a fuck what day it is. None of that. Talk. I will be there. Maybe a vlog. I'll figure something out. But it was a pleasure to have you on, man. The people are going to love this interview. Um, Jacob Robinson, man, what an interview. Thank you for doing this, brother. Thank you, Johnny. You're great at what you do. You are really great at what you do. I want to say that. And I encourage you to keep doing it. And I hope we can meet in person. Um, would love to play at Comerica. Would love for you to be there. Would love to play in Toronto. Would love for you to be there. Um, man, all the best to you. Seriously, I, I, I really do hope our paths cross this year. I do appreciate those kind words, man. And we will meet. We will figure something out. Comerica's three hours away. They're lifting all the having to get tested stuff at the border now. So we're buzzing. And like I said, man, keep doing your thing. And I can't wait to see the loose, the loose Jacob Robson, the guy that was playing in the Dominican just raking. That's going to be a good one to see. And Greg Hamilton's going to be saying, I told you so to the other kids that had to maybe get cut because you had to make the team. <laughs> Love to hear it, Johnny. Thank you for listening to Officially Unofficial. Make sure you guys subscribe and leave a review on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Pod and on Instagram at Officially Unofficial Pod. Thank you. Thank you.